this episode of the Critical Oxygen Podcast. Build volume, build fatigue resistance, but keep in that high intensity stuff, a little bit more of like that polarized sort of training idea. And then as you start to go within the season, then you start to switch towards more of that sports specific stuff, maybe developing that threshold power, maybe developing lower threshold power because it's, you know, your race is super long. Um, that's how, that's, a, I guess, how I would approach it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Critical Oxygen Podcast, where we help you optimize your physiology and maximize your athletic potential. I'm your host, Phil Batterson, and today we're joined by continuing guest host, Aaron Geyser, where we're going to discuss how to set up a successful training in the offseason. Aaron, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me again. I guess I'm doing something right by continuing to get the the invitation yeah, no, for sure. I think, uh, you know, like I, I always tell people, I was like, yeah, even if these recordings couldn't go live, I still get to have, you know, talks with super intelligent coaches, super intelligent researchers, all of that. So I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be able to be able to do this. And then now we actually get to share it with people. So uh, yeah, man, I, I always this is the sort of stuff I live for. Um, you know, talking to you, talking to Robbie, talking to Jonah and Andy, and then hopefully getting some guests on. I've, I've actually got a few, uh, guests lined up, you know, for future episodes now. So I'm really excited about that. Um, and and, you know, I'm going to sound like a broken record here on the podcast, but, uh, Aaron and I haven't talked actually in a while. Um, and it's, it's been since like Kona, which was like the middle of, of October, like before that. And now it's the end of October. Uh, and you know, of course this will come out probably in November or December, but, um, yeah, we got a, we got a few updates and stuff that I want to talk to Aaron about. First of all, he had, so Endure IQ, um, you know, just overall, I think Dan Plews is actually like the head coach of Chelsea Sodaro, but she was the returning Ironman world champion and, um, you know, didn't, I, she, she didn't win. Um, so spoiler alert, she didn't win this year, but, um, you know, she battled her way, I think, you know, from the bike up to what sixth place overall she she came off the bike in 21 and ran okay. her way to sixth so yeah. it was one of those things where <clears throat> she didn't give up you know it was mm-hmm. she she fought her way and she scrapped and clawed her way back in from from 21 to six which especially on that course that time of day going through that run i mean it it's, it's brutal. And the mm-hmm. fact that she was able to make up that much ground and really she was nipping at the heels of Daniela in fifth. And really she wasn't too, too far behind Taylor in, in fourth at that point. So it would have, I mean, it, she just ran out of, out of real estate at that ran point. Otherwise she might've been taking, moving it up even further. Yeah. Yeah. So was that because a lot of the women did really, really well on the bike and Chelsea just couldn't really, you know, keep up or did she try to go a little bit more conservative because she knew she was going to crush it on the run? This is probably a piece that I don't, I can't give too much detail in. There, that's there, okay. there were some things out there that did prevent her having the bike day that she, we expected and all the work that had been put in to have. So okay. it, it wasn't from the fact that she decided to go conservative. It wasn't from a fact that the other ladies had a great day because on her normal day, she would have put herself right into that mix. 
Mm-hmm. It was just kind of the scenario leading into that event. There were some things that, that took place that didn't allow for the bike to go the way that, that any of us expected. Okay. That's fair. And I mean, you know, to be honest, I don't think anyone even on their best day was going to catch Lucy Charles Barkley. She, she looked really good. I was, I was watching live and it was like, you know, she led from the gun all the way through and minus, I think her Achilles was a little tweaked at the end. Um, minus that, you know, she looks strong probably up until about, you know, four miles left. And it was just, a, I mean, it was an ultimate um, performance. You, you yeah. can't really on that particular day, it was going to be hard to compete with her in any, it's just, she put out that performance that, you know, when the dust settles, there's there's not many people that would have been able to challenge on that particular day. Mm-hmm. Even when, because you could even see it from the first probably kilometer in the water that when she started to put time into the field and gapping by the amount that she did, mm-hmm. there there was something. She, she had the engine going and she was ready to make a yeah. statement. Cause even in that like segment, I was wondering, I was like, man, there are a couple of girls there that, that she could at least get off or out of the water and onto the bike and work as a little bit of a team to save some of her legs. But she decided to work the entire day on her own mm-hmm. and that she did. And she did it to about as close to perfection as you could ask. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was super impressive to watch it, uh, you know, in, in person. And um, I, I don't I don't know her personally, but I have met her and I've met her husband. I've worked with them before and they, you know, seem like very, very nice people. Um, and, you know, she was talking about, yeah, this has been my dream since I was able to. I think did she win age group? She did. The, she wanted it. Yeah, so she. Yeah. So she won it as an age grouper. And then she was like, I need to win it as a pro. You know, so this has like been her like dream and her big goal for a really, really long time. And, you know, with the injuries leading up to it, everyone was like, oh, you know, be careful. She has she doesn't have the runs, you know, like the the run stamina. But obviously that kind of worked in her favor. You know, she was able to crush it on the swim. She put a lot of she, you know, put a hurt on on the women in the bike and then she maintained it for the run. So her her bike was, was pretty impressive. And sometimes the one thing going into the race that, that I kind of looked at and so this is the second year in a row that she's kind of come in off of some type of injury. And typically she seems like an individual in the past that has taken a couple of races to really get to form. And I I was a, I was a bit, I was questioning how sharp she should or how sharp she should or would be. But what she did was just came out and completely removed that question from me. And I will never question her again in that case. (laughs) It's, It's just one of those scenarios where sometimes, and maybe it's to that point in her career, she needed maybe just a little bit of a dust off. And she, She's joked about it a couple of times where I think there was one where she was trying to get off the bike at, I want to say it was a PTO event two years ago, and she almost fell off of her bike because she was deciding between either like a flying mount or 
just getting off the bike and she ended up hitting the front brake a little too hard and back into the bike started coming up when she was trying to get off. So there's been some things in the past where the more time that she has spent on the race course, this, the cleaner she has been. But mm-hmm. I guess at this point in her career, she's raced enough to really knock out some of those cobwebs and doesn't need, of course, there was a couple of races that she did with, um, the PTO series and, uh, through the year, but I, I guess she's at that point in the career where some of those things just kind of now come a little bit more naturally. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, like I said, it was a really fun race. I, I think, um, I really liked the fact that, you know, it was just the women there and all of that, but I definitely noticed less people, less vendors in the vendor village, little bit less of a buzz in terms of, you know, like what was going on. And I think because they were separate, you know, one of them was in, in Nice, France, and then the other one was in Kona. I think that, uh, you know, like as much as I like the fact that it, it celebrated the women, it definitely brought less people and less attraction to it because, you know, people weren't going to travel to both France and to, to Kona to be able to watch the race unless you were like a coach or, you know, specifically supporting, you know, a female athlete in that case. Uh, Well, one thing, but I also, from talking to other individuals, even last year at Kona, there was less vendors and there, I mean, and you want to talk about, they almost ended up celebrating that whole week from that. Yeah. I I don't know if it's more of just kind of the environment that we're in also uh, of just trying to get representation over and, hitting on all cylinders from that. I do agree with you that when you look at two completely different locations, you're having to allocate things to, to both of those if you want to be present. But I, I, I question more from the vendors and some of the other aspect if it is just kind of the times that we're currently in and if organizations are just kind of backing off a little bit in general. I, I I am one that wish we could go back to at least having smaller fields in Kona. So less people there might actually be a good thing. Mm -hmm. And again, I think the Island would be a little bit more welcoming on the community coming in for that timeline rather than what was there last year. But it's a, it's a good question. And probably over the course of the next couple of years, we're going to have a little bit more insight to, is this what the new normal is or is it just the wave that's going to start to take shape? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, for those of you who aren't kind of, you know, Ironman centric and all of that, we can, we can kind of actually, no, we're going to stay on the Ironman topic because, uh, your, your, your friend and colleague, uh, Dr. Dan Plews went and won, um, the, the California Ironman, um, just that was last weekend. Yeah. It was this past Sunday. So yeah. And he went seven fifty eight. um, seven fifty six. So, so, so we need to get, Oh, that sorry, money. sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> no. It's, so he, he put his foot down and this was something that he's really kind of eyed for the last couple of years is the potential of Ken, an age grouper and can he, go sub eight and we kind of went in with that as the mission he uh we we had a conversation when he was looking at targeting what race and 
this one to me was the one that I was like, this to me is the no brainer. I think from the course dynamic, from weather, from all these different angles, we, we felt like it was the right setup. And also it's the one that was probably going to lease adjust like his day because he got a day back and it's just three hours off. Like, so a day and three hours off of what he would be in New Zealand. So it mm-hmm. was kind of a, it fit all the boxes and he went in, put his, put his foot down and put his name on that race with authority. And mm-hmm. he can now say, not only does he have the age group world record holder at Kona, he now has the fastest ever performed time at an Ironman distance at going sub eight at seven fifty six. So it's pretty impressive feat for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it really does blow my mind, like how good he is. Um, and like, so I don't know if you can share this, but has, has he ever considered, you know, like going pro in this or is he just not quite there in terms of the, he seems fit enough, right. To be a pro that's like, his his thought and one time he told me if if kind of that Kona world record ha- like happened a little bit earlier in his career he would have looked at maybe making that jump but he he did the 2018 Kona to set that record he was i want to say 36 at the time I mean, he might have been 35 at the time and didn't race for 5 years and we also went through mm-hmm. kind of COVID and everything else that kind of went through that time and the timing, you know, it's, it's like anything else in somebody's life. The timing does have to match up. And at the time that 2018 race took place, his daughter Bella was just an infant. So she was not very, they have had a second kid in that time. So it's one of those scenarios where is it, is this my task in life or is like becoming a, an, an adult and everything else that goes with that, my next phase. And also with, I mean, by nature, he's just a guy that, that loves research. He's an, I mean, in academia. So he just loves that mm-hmm. aspect. So I don't think it was something that was a hard decision for him when young family, I still want to maintain some of these other aspects of my life so i think if it would have happened a little maybe 10 years earlier in his life that the outcomes might have been a little bit different or the direction might have been a little bit different but when it happened it it kind of was that point of man it's the wrong timing so let's just go about Mm -hmm. this direction of my life i like the way that it's going so let's move on and i mean it's it's kind of shown right you know his successes in academia his successes within their iq you know being both a coach and now i mean and being an athlete as well it's not and now being an athlete right. but you know he's still able to maintain a very very high level um, of fitness and i think you know it's like uh, being i went into academia because i wasn't quite good enough you know for you know like like so i was always looking for those optimal ways of of training and all of that and you know he's kind of got all of those and i'm just like damn it just must like try to be like Dan Plews, you know. That's like that's the <laughs> that's what you need to do. <laughs> it's a rare breed, and yeah, it's it just speaks to what he brings to the table, and you know, somebody like me who gets the opportunity to work 
with him and under him and be able to get the knowledge that this man is able to put together is, is it's fun. I mean, it was a no brainer for me. So it, mm-hmm. being able to spend the week with him out there was a, was a really, really fun time. It was, we've been working with each other for five years and that was the first time that we've had a true face to face in person. That's crazy. It, it was, it was funny how you just, you come together and the puzzle piece of that relationship just kind of fit naturally. Like mm-hmm. we had been old high school friends and we just, we come in, we're joking, we're making movie quotes back and forth. It's just, it, it was, it was, it was fun to kind of have that face to face and also seeing him you know, interact with his family was a, it was, it was a treat from my side of it just to kind of see mm-hmm. a different side of him. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how you can, you know, meet and really become friends, like really good friends with somebody, you know, just like either from online interactions, like whatever it is. And then like, you know, you, you guys took five years to actually go and and meet in person, but it's like, I think that's one of the incredible things about, you know, the technology and the age we're living in is this idea that like, you know, you living in the middle of America and him living over in New Zealand can somehow meet, somehow get to know each other. And then, you know, now you guys are coaching together and, you know, then when you do meet in person, it's not like, it's not like this weird, awkward, you know, sort of thing. It's like, oh yeah, you, you're actually the same person that, that I am, you know, that we are when we talk on the phone. Right. Actually, so, probably a little bit more sarcastic than this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're like, okay, we're not recording anything right now. I can actually like, you know, be a little bit, be a little bit funnier and more upfront with it. Yeah. But I don't have to have that like uptight professional not that right. I carry that too much, but no, I, I, I get it though. Right. And, and that's, that's just really cool. So I wanted to bring that up because, um, you know, whenever I see, you know, Endure IQ posting about Dan Plews, it's of course him walking across the finish line at first. <clears throat> and it's just so impressive to me. So, um, definitely a, a bummer. I didn't get a chance to meet up with him when he was in uh, Kona for the race, but I was kind of expecting that just because, he flew in pretty late. I knew he was going to be super busy, but I want, I want to get back on a call with him at some point. Cause I've, I've interacted with him in the past and really smart guy and really fun to interact with. So, um, that's, that's one of, one of my goals, at, at least at some point. You just didn't get to see him face to face before I did. So that, that was, uh, uh yeah, was, that was actually, it. That was, you were like, <laughs> yeah, you're like, Dan, don't meet up with Phil <laughs> because we haven't met up yet. You got to wait. <laughs> gotta wait next week you're, you're good after that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah exactly um cool i think we can we can kind of get to you know like like you know now that the season's over and everything kona kind of represents the championship you know races and stuff are kind of winding down it's getting into that cold season like whatever it is but um you 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 had texted me and you said okay i really want to talk about how to you know really help people make an effective off season and i think this is a really good idea right you know a lot of us coming off of, you know, training for something big, maybe, you know, like a, our big A race, whatever it is, maybe we've been done for a little while, but it's, it's off season time. You've probably, you know, taken a little bit of a break. Now, what is it that you need to start doing? Or, you know, like how, how should you approach the off season? You know, should you just be doing all zone two work? Uh, answer is probably not, but, um, <laughs> uh but you know like what like what should you be doing 
you know, what sort of things would, would Aaron as a coach be recommending? How, how would I go about it? Um, so yeah, so Aaron, if you just want to dive in, like, you know, so, so for example, you just raced recently. So I, I, I'm taking it as kind of like the end of year season as well. Mm-hmm. Did you take any, any time off or, you know, like step away from like, say organized training just to kind of do what you want to do or, you know, like what, what's your approach at the end of the season? So especially after a race, a lot, I mean, I go in with very specific and tough workouts. So mm-hmm. I'm holding tempo for a lot longer period of time. When I get done with the season, I, I personally don't like to completely step away. I like to continue to hit all three disciplines. I start to then throw in a little bit more strength training. That's a little bit more focused on not just mobility work, but more of just building strength. Cause that's kind of mm-hmm. at my roots. That's what I did through my baseball career and other things. It's just something that is a comfortable place for me to be, but mm-hmm. I really move out of those harder workouts. And I say I I still lead a Zwift workout on Wednesday that is under the Southern Hemisphere <laughs> time zone or uh, part of the season. So I always end up keeping that one workout that's a little bit outside of my normal. But for the most part, it's backing off of the intensity mostly – but I start to expose myself to different forms of training. Instead of that tempo, I now right now have on Monday VO2 max, then currently the rides that I'm leading on Wednesday, which is Thursday in Australia and Thursday in um, New Zealand are threshold workouts right now. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of doing a little bit peak performance spiking there, just trying to elevate VO2 max, starting to elevate some of the threshold ability to hold. So it's, you want to make sure that you can continue to, you know, stimulate the other responses that you're looking at, but that's in mind. So when I look at my athlete who don't have to lead these rides on Zwift or do some of these other things, I can really take that canvas and and build it to that particular scenario of what we want to do. And traditionally, depending on when the athlete started their season and when they finished their season, I want to try to have them a little bit of time out of either non-structured or significant like decrease of volume. In that phase, I typically do not throw in a whole lot of even VO2 max or high intensity work at that point, just because what my goal is, is to try to get them refreshed, ready for the next season and ready for what it takes to be successful for that next season. And then also start to put in uh, or actually allow their body to heal up if there was any niggles or anything that was problematic through the rest of the year. We might start to address those particular issues with some strength training. So therefore, we can start to stabilize that foundation. And Mm-hmm. I really often talking to my athletes, I, I refer to the body. I refer to us building as if we would build a house. So I really want to make that solid like foundation. So the solid, the more solid the foundation is, the bigger and stronger house that we're going to have on top of that foundation. Mm-hmm. So we are really in this case, looking at where those cracks in the previous foundation might have lied 
and then start to seal those up and then start to really, really finish things off from rebuilding the foundation before we start to get into kind of the development or base building phase. So mm-hmm. I, I find it extremely important for a force just kind of step back or at least decrease because often I am working with type A personalities and they would go, go, go until they run themselves off of a cliff. Now for Mm -hmm. some, maybe that's a couple of months for others. It might be six years, but we want to make sure we have that little bit of time to refresh and, and get the body prepared because I mean, especially let's start looking at racing now March, we have Clash. I mean, especially in the U.S., we have March as kind of the kickoff with Clash Miami starting now. And then technically, if you look at Florida has the second Saturday, I think it's Saturday, second Saturday in December has Half Ironman Payne City. So, I mean, that's a grand amount of time. And some athletes are trying to race from that first one all the way to that last one. And Mm -hmm. it just, you know, it beats up the body. It forces athletes to be in kind of the competition or specific phases for very, very long periods of time. And we end up either seeing athletes really starting to get stagnant in the results or burnt out or just, Mm -hmm. you know, lack the performance that they want to perform in in those later seasons so right now is extremely important time so i know that was a long-winded way of saying phil that first off it's just kind of that unstructured couple of weeks back down on volume start to implement some strength training at that point so when we do circle the time that okay this is when we are going to start the general base build We've already gotten some of the early soreness from the strength training in. We've gotten rejuvenated. We've re- we've maybe gotten over some of the niggles that you were facing. If you weren't mm-hmm. having niggles, great. We just continue to go mm-hmm. that same process. We don't have to worry right. about it as much. And then when we hit that, we hit the ground running when that base build phase starts. And from there, for me, it's pretty traditional. I it's a mix of swim. So I start to build back swim volume with a lot of technique work, a little bit of pat or decent amount of paddle work at that point, before we start to kind of move into more endurance threshold speed work. I want to make sure that we just kind of start to sound up some of the technical work and strength work. So when we get into the water, we're not having some of these breakdowns that we get to in the middle of the season from a run standpoint. I really, there are a couple of athletes that we are looking to gain speed where I will put some small speed work sessions early in the season. But typically I come back to a running as a very aerobic endurance based. I I look at very, very few workouts to be higher intensity workouts from the run just because it does have such a greater amount of stress on the body. Mm-hmm. And I would much rather really provide you with a robust, you know, mitochondrial density system and allow when we do get to that point of starting to throw higher intensity uh, run efforts, 
you're just feeling like a super superhero in that case. Like doing mm-hmm. that too early in that you end up one, you have breakdowns Two, you don't build the right system first. You're working on some speed. Maybe you're getting faster, but you're not able to hold it for very long because you don't have the right energy systems to allow for sustainability there. But then on the bike, right. I'm throwing a great deal of endurance work. So aerobic work with, starting to add one or two VO2 max bike workouts early in the process. And typically I start with early on 30, 30. So 30 seconds on 30 seconds off moving into 30, 15s, 40, 20s. And then one of the workouts that we have is a six minute segment of 50 on 10 seconds off 40 seconds on 20 seconds off 30 seconds on 30 seconds off do that twice. And then, two minutes off and then right back into it. So eventually that's where kind of the yeah. train is leading. But in that early stage, it starts with that 30, 30 meat and potatoes mm-hmm. is what we call it. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that's a, uh, I mean, that, that was for anybody listening. That's like a very, very uh, thorough look at, you know, like when you, when you go to your off season, the first thing that you need to focus on is, is healing yourself, and getting yourself mentally prepared or, you know, get, getting yourself mentally back on track for, uh, you know, the, the season that's coming up, because if you're racing from March to December, that is a, that is a long time. And we'll, we're going to talk about this on another episode, you know, how to, how to make a race, how to set up a race season so you don't get burnt out. Um, but that is a recipe for setting yourself up, you know, for potential burnout towards the end of the season. Um, so if you're feeling like that, then, you know, sometimes if, if I have an athlete who's feeling like that, I just say, okay, unstructured stuff, just go and move, you know, you know, for a few weeks, just go and move. doesn't matter what you do. If it's hiking, running, skiing, cross country skiing, whatever it is, you just have to go and move every single day or, you know, like five days a week. Um, and then, and then hopefully that should start to bring back some of the joy that you start, you know, that the reason why we all start triathlon is, or triathlon or running or endurance sport is because it's, it's fun, right? You need to have some fun and it can't, you know, you know, just feel like a job because, you know, admittedly, a lot of us listening to this podcast aren't professional triathletes. Um, but you want it to, you want to maintain that fun and because that's what's going to keep you consistent enough to come back year after year after year after year to get better. And, and if I um, can throw in something there, it's also going to allow you to improve year after year. I mean, one of the things that mm-hmm. as you, as we've both referenced to is March to December, if you told me that you were racing that, unless you didn't like have much going on in the middle of the season, if you raced from that start of the season to the finish of the season – I would more times than not bet that that individual athlete had their worst race in December because they were in such a prolonged specific and competition phase training bout that they just completely Mm -hmm. stagnated and then actually started to lose VO2 max, started to lose some of their aerobic fitness and probably just started to go downhill from that point. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause you're, when you're in a specific phase for too long, you, you start to lose some of those physiological adaptations. And that's what, that's what the off season and then early base building should really be for is, is how can we develop your physiology 
to better support that race specificity, you know, when you get close to, to racing. And I've, I've had athletes in the past that I've coached where, you know, they're all gung, gung ho about, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to race, you know, in June and then I'm going to race in October. And when they, when they do that, you know, like it, but they start training in, in January, but by the time June comes around, they're like, Oh man, I'm already feeling pretty burnt out. And by the time October comes around, they're like, yeah, I'm not even going to do the race. Cause I don't want to do it anymore. And you know, it's, it, it becomes a grind and that's probably, you know, a little bit on my coaching and everything. Um, but it also, it also takes that balance, right? You need to be able to switch things up enough or, you know, kind of, kind of go from that, like physiological specific adaptations to race specific adaptation adaptations throughout the year in order to actually make that, that base and keep that base and then build that tower as high as you possibly can. Cause we've talked about this on um, another podcast. I, I literally just edited that episode. So I'm, I'm familiar with it again. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's important, especially in the beginning of the, of, of your off season to take a little bit of time reset your mind, reset your body. And I really like what you're saying about then start to get the strength training in because you lose that at the end of the season, right? You're not doing much strength training because you're, you're really focused on those sports specific adaptations. And that strength training is going to help you absorb the volume and maybe a little bit of that intensity early on in the season. That's going to be required to then, you know, build you up further so you can, you know, get better as you, as you progress throughout well, the season. And, also, um, and plus it's just going to make you feel oh, like that's going to improve some of your bone health as well, because we're going to go through a heck of oh, a yeah. lot of when we get into that base and we're running, we're putting a lot of impact on the body. Sometimes one, if, if we aren't prepared for that, we're going to have bone breakdown. I mean, that can come from nutrition that can also just come from the strength of bone. But I think, putting that kind of foundational work in there is really good to kind of set the bones up to be able to stand the stress that you're going to be throwing on it in a couple of weeks or a couple of months. Sorry to catch you. I just, I think that that's a good, yeah, there was, yeah, no, for, I I a hundred percent agree. I think, you know, from a structural perspective, we mostly think about, or at least I, I being a muscle physiologist, I mostly think about the muscle and the muscle adaptations and stuff, but you have to think about, you know, your bones, your tendons, your joints, your ligaments, all of those sort of things and how they're adapting and responding to the training load that you're putting on it. And, you know, by doing, by building a base, right. You know, by doing kind of like that, that high impact, um, you know, like running volume, you're going to build bone health. But then on top of that, if you're doing strength training, you're also going to build bone health because that's the heavy weight. It, as long as you're, I would say I would say in the off season, you should be probably lifting fairly heavy weight for yourself. Um, as long as you can do it through full range of motion with, with control and, and be safe and all of that. But because that's going to give you kind of the most area for adaptation, like most likely you've been doing a lot of running, biking and swimming in that sports specific phase. So you need to do something that's kind of completely different than, you know, what you have been doing and lifting heavy weights, putting heavy weights on your shoulders, you know, benching heavyweights, you know, pushing it over above your head, deadlifting it is going to put the most potential for adaptations to your bones and your ligaments and keeping things healthy. So not only is it going to, you know, make you stronger, it's also going to make you a little bit more resilient in terms of, uh, you know, resisting injury, 
uh, over the course of the season. Well, as and well, this is also going to give you the range. time to do some transverse plane and uh, frontal plane because you're getting mostly sagittal plane in that case. So it's, 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 and to mm-hmm. give a little bit, it's kind of movement patterns for those that aren't familiar with those terms. So we get to move laterally or we get to move kind of turning or uh, contorting our body in different positions. It, it, it allows us to mm-hmm. kind of work other connective tissues, as you pointed out, Phil, and build the strength from diversity from what we are doing solely or mostly in a single direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something that I think it's some, so it's something that I don't think is considered enough. If you want to become a really solid functional athlete, you have to do movements to the side in front of you and in a twisting motion, exactly like what you were saying. But most of the time, if we're running, it's it's in a, a forward and back motion. If we're cycling, it's in a a cyclic pattern forward and back. If we're swimming, it's kind of tilted in the water, but it's still mostly forward and back, right? Um, so, so this is a perfect time again to do things that your your body isn't really, uh, you know, accustomed to, and it's it's different than what it is. And by doing that, you're going to again build up that resilience. I was talking to uh, Dirk Friel, who's the uh, like co-founder of Training Peaks, when I was over in Kona. And what he does now, so he used to be a professional cyclist, but what he does now is he cycles and does a lot of gravel riding, gravel racing, you know, during like the, the summer. And then in the winter he does ski touring. So he essentially just like sprints up hills, you know, with, with cross country skis and then binds in his boots and just bombs down the hill. Um, but, and I didn't get a chance to ask him this, but I, I really feel like, you know, if you, if you have like two sports like that, like say cross country skiing versus running or something. And you jump back and forth between those because they are, they're similar movements, right? Still in that, in the, the front back plane, like we were talking about, but they're different in the sense that of the muscles that are being engaged, the stabilizer muscles that are required. Um, you know, I think that can almost give you a different lens on, you know, competing and, you know, keeping yourself healthy and other things like that. So maybe adopting a winter sport while still kind of, you know, you know, doing your base building and other things like that could also be another way of approaching the off season. And that's something that I kind of thought about is, um, my fiance is really into, uh, dog sledding. Like, so her mom grew up like, you know, like grew up with 30 dogs, like dog sledder, all that sort of stuff. So we just, we, she just purchased a, a dog sled we have five dogs currently and she was teaching the dogs how to pull. Um, so she put the harnesses on them and all that sort of stuff. And I was like, man, it would be so cool to do like in the winter, uh, ski juring, which is like you put your dog on a harness and then you have like a little bungee harness and then your dog just runs and you cross country ski behind them and you're just trying to keep up. Um, so, so I, I've been, I've been toying with the idea of potentially trying to do a little bit of like racing for like the ski juring and stuff. I got to get a little bit better and a little bit more under control, but I think it'd be super fun. And then in the summer I would do like mountain biking, gravel racing or trail running, um, and then jump, jump back and forth. And I think that, you know, that whatever, would keep me I, like, I, I agree with the cold sports, but I can't, you can't find me going outside in the cold. Like I try to minimize the amount of time that I'm outside. (laughs) 
it's I'm sure my, my yeah my Swiss blood has prepared me for it, and probably some of my ancestors are turning over in their graves. But I, I am no, I just try to avoid the cool and cold weather. But what you've talked about is I've I've already like I'll take two of my dogs out on a run together, so both of my German short-haired pointers mm -hmm. have put in like we've run three days this week and they've already put in 20, a little over 20 miles. So we're all just, it's, it's family. Yeah. That, so those, those dogs though are incredible athletes. So those are the ones that they actually use for ski juring and stuff. So a lot of people use German short-haired pointers for that reason. And some of the videos that you see though, they're, flying and you know the cross-country skiers just behind them they got their poles tucked up like this and they're just skating along and it's so impressive so we have a we have it i don't think i'm not sure if it's a german mm -hmm. short-haired pointer but it's a very similar looking breed we have a little puppy here that my my fiance's training and she it's like type of dog i'm just like yeah, she seems pretty athletic and, you know, we could, we could, we could work with that. I'm always thinking about how we could athletically develop our dogs. I'm like, yeah, just put them on a treadmill, get a VO2 max test, do all that sort of stuff. <laughs> so Maze and I, and this is one of my GSPs, we have done a 4k run in like 11 minutes in a, like we, we competed mm -hmm. and, uh, she also will go out and do 18 miles, take a two hour nap and then be ready for some sprint work in the back. Afterwards. Yeah. So it's just like, like you said, they are a machine. And for anybody that's looking to get one, you need to, to work that machine. Otherwise you will be pulling your hair out. Yes. And they will be eating your couch or your chairs or anything else. Typically, they just they utilize the inside of the house like a wrestling ring. If you know, like they bounce <laughs> off of the like they yeah. will just use the walls as that. So they're just doing it off of a hard surface rather than a wrestling <laughs> turnbuckle. So it's, yeah. it's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, we have. Uh, well, it's like three Australian shepherds, and we're we're fostering one Australian shepherd right now, and then we have some uh, a Beauceron, which is like a French shepherding breed. So all of our dogs are like pretty high energy and you know, they're doing this exact same thing. They're wrestling, they're running around the house. Like they haven't figured out the fact that like you don't get any grip on wood floor yet. So every time they come into the house, they're just like, you know, slipping and sliding. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I've always, I, I love the idea or, and this is, we, we kind of, we kind of switched from downhill skiing and downhill snowboarding to cross country skiing. So we could bring the dogs with us. Mm -hmm. Um, and you might not like the cold, but I've done some really, uh, I, I think it's really rewarding to, you know, go out in negative, negative 10 degree weather and have like a really cool ice beard. Um, by the time you're done, you know, doing a cross country, uh, you know, cross country skiing workout and stuff like that. I know that's not for everybody, but, um, it's fun. I guess one thing that I can say is if there's any clothing brands out there that would like to, I think my issue is most likely probably not from the cold itself is I just don't have a wardrobe that, <laughs> yeah. that sets me up for success in those environments. So yeah, if there's a group out there that wants to send me some tests like clothing, 
I could spend more time outside. It's just, I don't have that in my wardrobe. So it makes it very, very challenging to even want to spend 10 minutes out there. No, like taking the dogs out in the winter is, is like my least favorite thing, but yet <laughs> I finished my day in a cold plunge at 41 degrees. Yeah, I know. It's, it, it's funny. It's funny how, uh, you know, like going outside, you know, cause it's like, it's like, Oh, I have to do this right. Kind of as like a, like, you know, you have to take care of the dog versus like choosing to go into the cold plunge. You're like, yeah, that's much more manageable. And it's like, <laughs> I admit I don't make a whole lot of sense sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a. Uh, it, I, I think it's it makes it makes perfect sense to me. Um, you know, it's a it's a choice versus like a kind of a, a forced a forced sort of thing. But um, yeah, so I mean that whole tangent aside, you know, on training dogs and running and doing that sort of stuff, I think, I think I think the biggest thing with the off season is that you know just to summarize stuff is to really make sure that you're getting, uh, treating your injuries. If you have any, if you don't have any injuries, it's kind of refreshing yourself mentally, getting yourself back onto or into like the spirit of wanting to train. And once you're kind of over that, like either like unstructured or differently structured, you know, sort of style of training for, for a few weeks, maybe a month or so, depending on, you know, how you're actually feeling, then you start to go back into, you know, your base building phase. And, we can just kind of briefly touch on like base building phase. You already really did, but the base building phase, you want to, I'm always a fan of, you know, train all aspects of, uh, you know, what you need to be good at at all times. It's just a matter of how much you're actually doing it. So, So, you you know, for example, if you're a runner, you should be doing like if, and you want to develop V2 max stuff, you want to at least have something resembling vo2 max stuff like sprinkled in maybe once every other week just to maintain that high quality of being able to run hard um obviously when you're a triathlete you know like you can kind of get away with with reducing it a little bit because you're probably going to be doing vo2 max work on the bike which is then going to help maintain vo2 max on the run um and let's face it like running is just a is a different beast because of all the pounding that you have to do so I, that's, that's kind of how I like to approach it with like the base building, build volume, build fatigue resistance, but keep in that high intensity stuff, a little bit more of like that polarized sort of training idea. And then as you start to go within the season, then you start to switch towards more of that sports specific stuff, maybe developing that threshold power, maybe developing lower threshold power because it's, you know, your race is super long. Um, that's how, that's, I guess how I would approach it. Which, and that's, Perfect. And the one thing for the run, even when I say endurance from a run standpoint of building that, that doesn't mean that I might not throw a segment of strides or four by 30 second efforts at a higher, higher intensity at the end of that session. We're just not making it the focus of that session so right we even sprinkling it in you're going to get some of that you're not going to have the same impact and compounding on the body over time so even starting out with maybe even four 30 second strides or vo2 max work at the end of a 35 minute endurance run or whatever it might be is is an ideal like 
snapshot of workouts that I would throw as well. So I think we're on the exact yeah. same page, but touching base on from a triathlon standpoint, yeah, you are typically not, you know, you, you might be able to get away with it because you're getting that exposure on the bike, but you can still kind of find a way to sprinkle it in and not make it such a detriment to your body or open up the breakdown of your body by sprinkling it in just a very, very small gap and just not making it necessarily the sole focus of that particular workout. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good example in a way, a way that I kind of use that is, you know, I like to train kind of my, my top end speed on cycling or top end power on cycling, like every day if I can. So I have, uh, built into my warm up like I'll have like five minutes, easy increase pace, increase pace every five minutes or so. Now, when I'm feeling kind of warm, what I'll do is I'll start a series of accelerations and those accelerations, like, you know, anywhere from 15 seconds to 45 seconds, depending on how I'm feeling that day, those sort of things. But it's, it's just a way of me touching on hitting that high end, you know, sort of sort of speed and power every single day, because I think it's valuable, you know, to, to keep, to keep that going. Right. As opposed to just like, I, I saw an Instagram the other day that was just like, oh, if I, I'm in my base building phase, but if I do any lactate stuff, is that going to, that's going to completely ruin all of my adaptations. I'm like, no, 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 not at all. Like if anything, it's going to keep your ability to clear lactate higher than just not touching it whatsoever. Because, you know, if you, if you, and I think a lot of coaches have, or a lot of coaches have inappropriately gone to base building as just long, slow distance. And, you know, because we get this idea that zone two is like the only way to, to increase mitochondrial volume and capillary and capillarization, that's not true. You increase mitochondrial volume and mitochondrial function and capillarization from both low end work and high end work. But it's because zone two training has gotten, you know, become the bell of the ball to, you know, essentially everyone's like, oh, during my base, I have to do that. And it's like, Yes, you want to accumulate volume in lower intensity, but you still want to exactly like what you were saying, Aaron, sprinkle in those high intensity efforts because, and I'll say this until I get blue in the face, it's easier to keep a, a wheel spinning once it started to spin than it is to start from a complete stop. And if you're doing, if you just do base training as super low intensity long stuff, then you're essentially going to have to start spinning that wheel all over again when you want to try to get that high-end stuff back. And from a bio, I mean, a mitochondrial biogenesis, so you also want to just keep things kind of being able to turn over in an efficient manner in that sense as well. So it's if we've learned nothing from all things, it's variety is not just the spice of life, but it also keeps everything kind of sharp. It brings the entire puzzle mm -hmm. and picture together. So it's, it's never good to just kind of go in one direction for anything. So it's just good. Mm -hmm. uh, and to be honest, I mean, the elephant in the room, aerobic work, it, it can be boring. It can be very boring. And sometimes by implementing <laughs> yes. just that little bit of change, you've you've kept the intrigue, you've kept the engagement in that workout without just saying, well, shit, I got another 
90 minutes or whatever it might be on the bike or a run today. And it's all just at a very, very moderate level. And just by throwing that little bit of diversity into the training as well, it keeps you wanting to come back day after day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Something I was just talking to an athlete about was we, we want to avoid burnout as much as possible, but you know, in order to actually like build volume and everything you have to do, you know, the, the lower intensity stuff. So what I told her, I was like, I'm doing a lot of stationary biking and it, it is boring, but something I've really just loved starting to do is just watch YouTubers play Pokemon games. Like it sounds so silly, but it keeps me entertained. And it's one of those things where it's like, okay, I'm still, I'm still riding at, you know, my 170 Watts, which is my zone two. And, but I'm, I'm taking my focus off of that. And, you know, you could, you could, you could listen to this podcast. That could be something that might be entertaining for you. Um, You can ask questions to us. uh, You know, I think like within Spotify or within Instagram and all of that. So there's ways of making it, uh, you know, entertaining and interactive. Um, And, you know, so you don't just have to make it a slog. I would love to give an additional plug to Saturday mornings, whether um, Eastern, it's eight o'clock. That means five o'clock in the Pacific, but but I lead a Zwift ride under Endure IQ and it's, it's aerobic. It, we're going to start roughly around two hours and every week I build up about 15 minutes. So we have gotten these things before past seasons up into the six hour range. But, uh, there I am consistently taking questions and answering questions from the riders. And at times we've had as many as 275 riders on these rides that's awesome. So at times it's really engaging for me, but also just the material that is being shared and discussed within that application in Zwift is a very, very entertaining way to get that ride in. And I think I've had that amount of like athletes join that particular ride in that community because of what we do and how easily and how quickly the time goes by individuals routinely as we're building up time hey i just this is the longest i've ever been on an indoor session or a trainer Mm -hmm. we we kind of celebrate that and the reason why that opportunity takes place is because of the interaction that we have from minute to minute hour to hour within that that ride so if i can push that again it's on zwift 8 a.m in the east 5 a.m in the pacific and it's under Endure IQ. And you can find yep. that under the events. Yeah. So, yeah, I will, uh, if, if there's a way to link that, I'll, I'll link shoot that you over the, the link notes. to our, all of our rides too. Perfect. Actually, yeah. And all I'll say, I might start, I might start joining that as well. As much as uh, f- waking up at 5 a.m. to do a long, a long ride is, is going to kind of kill me. Um, I, I think it would be, it would be worth it. I'll just be on my mountain bike. Uh, you know, I don't have a tri bike or anything, but I think it would be fun. And I, that's, that's something that actually, this is, that was a perfect plug. Thanks for sharing that, Aaron. I think this is exactly what I want to, to help the podcast do is like, let's do things that are interactive, like group rides where you can come and ask questions to, to Aaron and I, um, you know, make a little bit more of like the, the community a little bit more social and stuff. I was thinking about doing, um, you know, some, 
some interactive Zoom calls in a sense where we do like a journal club. So we pick an article, we talk about it, you know, all of us as, as a group. Um, if you have any, if you have any ideas for how we can make this a little bit more interactive, that would be perfect. Cause right now it's just Aaron and I talking to each other, but, um, you know, at some point we want to, we want to start opening it up to, to getting, getting more questions and all of that. Um, I think that's actually a, a perfect place for us to stop today. Um, you can find me as always at critical O2 on Instagram. You can find Aaron at try a geyser, uh, on Instagram as well. I will, uh, post, the uh the link to the zwift ride that's on saturdays 8 a.m eastern time 5 a.m pacific time um in the in the show notes below um and if you guys have any questions or anything like that if you're on instagram or if you're not on instagram if you're on youtube comment down below if you're on spotify you can actually go and you can leave us feedback so um you know type into the question box what questions do you have for aaron and i and we can answer them on a subsequent uh subsequent recording so With that, thanks everybody for listening and we'll catch you in the next one.